to Minute 154 of The Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into The Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Howard Kasner, blogger, host of the Pop Art Podcast, and also a famous screenwriter and script consultant. Welcome back uh, to the show, from Howard. Your lips, from your lips to God's ears. There you go. There you go. Why, why not give you a little bit of a push? You know, maybe maybe some of our listeners, uh, you know, need someone to to polish up their their scripts. And uh, that's know, right. Now now they they'll know who to go to. I know that if I ever have one, I know I'm going to you first. So, you know, thank you. I, I I'm far from that. <laughs> but <laughs> it's easier it's easier to say that when you're not in the middle of writing a script. But right. still, minute one fifty four begins with Hiltz raising up his right arm, and goes all the way till we see the waiter put the phone down and walks towards a a number of customers. As we were discussing the last few days, reached the point where the most iconic moments of this movie have passed. Hiltz has made the jump over the first fence. Unfortunately, didn't make it over the second half, the second side of the fence, or the second row of fence, I guess you can say. And he's now been caught, and he's stuck in the middle of a lot of barbed wire, and manages to stand up, and now lifts his hands up, or at least one hand, he lifts up his right arm. You can see that he's clearly out of breath, but he still surrenders, knowing that uh, there's nothing that he can do at this point. He has this like, very funny smirk on his face when this is happening. Well, he has the Steve McQueen smirk, yeah. you know. He, he has th- this look on his face that, all right, you got me, but I'll be out again. Don't worry. Then we, we get a, a, a cut to a, a busy town, busy street. You know, a lot of people, walk, some people walking around. Uh, do, do you know French, Howard? Not oh, too okay. well. But no, because, I, uh, because they, we see... I remember when he said something, I could, I could, um, I knew what right. they were okay, saying. I'm, I'm not actually at this point even concerned about when the characters are going to start speaking French. But for me, the first shot, when right. we see the, the, the staff car, you know, come across the bridge. So we see in the middle of of the uh, the sidewalk. We see a place where they put up, ad- there's all these advertising posters and stuff like that. On top it says V-A-B-E. Vabe. Right. I couldn't figure out what that is. It's not a word in French. It's not a word in German. I have absolutely no idea what that meant. So I thought maybe you'd have an idea. Um, no, I don't. I mean, it's not the name of the city or the name of the yeah. street. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So no, we, I we, I we see this is like a, also, it seems like it's early morning or mid-morning. You know, we see a few characters walking around. We see a guy on a bicycle driving away. We, we see a guy walking with a baguette under his arm, which right. uh, I guess they, they, they threw that in to make everyone believe that we're actually in France right now. You know, because even though they they filmed this in Germany. Baguettes are big uh, for breakfast. Yes, in, uh, exactly. In France. We see the staff car Turn, turn the corner, and it stops right in front of, of, of an outdoor cafe. And we can see that it's called Suzette Cafe, probably mm-hmm. named after someone that John Sturgis knew or something like that, because apparently there is no real Suzette Cafe in this area or where it's supposed to be. No, but it's it, it's probably named after uh, Crepe Suzette. It's very they possible. They probably serve crepes. I, I, I wouldn't know, I've, I, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> um, and the staff car shows up. We see three German officers and a driver. And this is actually filmed next to the Lechholt Bridge in Fusen. This was filmed in Germany. The three of them, the three officers, get out of the car. 
one after the other. And then the driver drives off, unfortunately for the officers, but thankfully for, for the story. <laughs> then we, we see the, uh, the waiter just standing there, leaning against the, the counter. And then he looks up and it, it seems as if he has like a cigarette in his hand or something like that, the, that he apparently is, is putting out, even though it's very strange. And then he looks at his watch and he places his watch in his, in his pocket. And then we get another shot of him where he's once again, you know, stamping out a uh, cigarette, meaning that uh, he's actually just done the same movement twice, depending on the shots. Uh, that could be, yeah, that could be an edit. Yeah, this is a, th- no, this is definitely a continuity error. Yeah. And there's no question about that, because then he, he once again looks at his watch and places it in his pocket. So we, we get to see him do that twice from, from different angles, one after the other. And then walks over to the table with the with the officers, looks over at someone staring at a newspaper. Again, my French is terrible, so I will I will spare everyone for have to listen to me say uh, say what he says in French. And he goes, "Hello, gentlemen, how's it going? Things are going well." And the response is, and then he says, "As usual, you want uh, three per no, is it not?" And the uh, the the Germans uh, nod and respond uh, that that's what they want. And then he the the waiter walks back towards the back towards the counter and says three per no papa which is interesting because if you look at the these characters it doesn't look like the one behind the counter is old enough to be his father um, mm, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it borderline borderline I don't know if you can really you know, agree that, that, that this is... No, they, I, I would say they both look around the same age. They probably both mm-hmm. look like they're in their 30s. That that would be my guesstimation. And then he... Uh, then the guy behind the counter decides to go... Or goes to, to begin to fill the fill their order. So then we get to see reading a paper in French. And if you look at the, the headline of the on the paper, once again, I'm going to spare everyone with my French rendition of things, it basically says that there's a great resistance of the enemy. And then there's a another headline in there that says uh, large bombardments on the har- on the harbor. And then we get to see that they lower the paper and we actually get to see who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with Cedric, played by James Coburn. Now, to me, it's it's very interesting because when I read the first, when I read the, the original script, Cedric is actually one of the characters that, get, that gets caught and he's interrogated like Cavendish who we discussed a few weeks ago when he got caught but here we basically have and, and that the character that, that is in the cafe is someone by the name of Maryvale who I have not been able to figure out who he's supposed to be in the script or who he turned into be in the end basically uh, a lot of things that he did were, were given to other characters they switched things around stuff like that but Maryvale is is the character that Cedric basically is playing at this point. So uh, I found it interesting that that during the of, of the the script right, rewrites, they made that big change. I mean, another big change they did was is that Roger's name in the original script was Cyril instead of Roger. They were, I guess, trying to uh, avoid using uh, anything similar to the real name of Roger Bouchel. You know, so they called him uh, Cyril mm-hmm. instead. So uh, I, I found that interesting. I mean, have you done that in some of the scripts that you've written? Have you, like, started writing a particular character and then changed things and split that character's parts up among other characters and things like that? Yes. Well, if I want to get rid of a character. If you want to get rid of him, for what reason? Because you have too uh, many characters? I would do that. Too many characters. It's 
having this many characters is slowing down the plot. It's uh, getting in the way of forward momentum. And you realize that if you split up this character and give certain things to other people, it's a much smoother uh, plot. Uh, yeah, you just have too well, many as, characters and it's getting in the way. Yeah. As a screenwriter, do you think this movie has too many characters? Um, no, I, I think they cover them all fairly well. Um, no, I'd have to say no. I think, I think it, uh, from that perspective, it works out fairly well. Um, right, because I've... I... It doesn't really allow much depth for the characters, but you're not really looking for a lot of depth in these characters. You're just looking at uh, right. But the depth that they do the give these characters is that each of them, you know, like in a in a good heist movie, each of them has their specialty, and you you have to just connect the character to the specialty. But you don't know anything about their backstory. You don't know you know where they've been, what they've done. You only know what you see on screen. They say this is this character's job, and this is what he's going to do, and this is all we see them do. And well, backstory isn't necessarily what I'm talking about. Uh, you can have depth of character without a lot of backstory. The example you give is all we know about um, in a heist film is their specialty. That would be a film that doesn't have much depth to the characters. If you see Rafifi, the Asphalt Jungle things like that, you see characters of great depth. You actually, they come very, very, very much alive. These characters, they're okay, but they never really, uh, on a scale of one to ten, they're probably around a seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially the British ones, you're saying. <laughs> well, no, actually, what we were talking about earlier amazing, this week. <laughs> it's amazing what a British accent does. For some reason, a British accent can make a a character have a lot more depth than an American accent. Don't know why that happens. Don't know why that is. But all of a sudden, give someone a British accent and they come alive in a way that American accents don't. It, and does it matter what type of American accent? I mean, would, a, would an accent of a cowboy oh, no. or, you know, would that, would that change it or something like that? Yeah, working class accents are always the best in America. Bronx, Chicago, uh, things of that nature. Um, are always things that give people uh, an immediate background and depth. I mean, depth. Boston. I mean, even in Boston England, also, right? Cock- yeah, in Boston, Cockney accents and uh, accents like that are always more interesting than posh accents. As long as you can actually understand what they're saying. <laughs> well, sometimes it helps to have the closed caption on. <laughs> yes, but, but that it's uh, something that you need to make sure <laughs> that you can actually understand without. Um, I think that would that would be detrimental to a story if uh, if if you can understand what the characters are saying, you know. When actually, uh, maybe that's not true because if you think of the the usual suspects, you know, you have Fenster, who the whole, uh, Fenster, Fenster, right, where he's just mumbling along the whole time. Oh no, maybe not Fenster. Fenster's ah, uh, now I don't even remember which one it was. It was it was the one played by uh, Benicio del Toro. Do you remember what what his name was? I think Fenster oh, was yeah. was Kevin Pollak. No, it's been so long since I've yeah. seen it. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, hmm. I used to be able to understand the accents a lot better than now. I think my hearing skills. So it's always useful to have closed caption on for for British accents. But they probably do the same thing when they, if they watch like uh, what was the one the crime series that took place in Boston, uh, The Wire. Uh, ah, no, it was in Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, in, I'm sure if they watched. Baltimore. I'm sure if they watched that, they said, "Oh, maybe we should turn on the closed caption." These are really these are thick accents. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just checked. It is Fenster. Benicio Del Toro plays Fenster, and Kevin Pollak played Hockney. 
Yeah. That, that's the difference. But yeah, no, so he mumbled throughout the whole movie. <laughs> it always helped to have... It, it made for... for for comic moments, but it still helps to be able to, to see on screen what he's saying, you know, with having the closed captions. You're right about that. Right, so at this point, we, we see Cedric in the cafe. Did you notice what he's eating? Uh, I didn't really, but let me see. Or what he ordered, basically. <laughs> uh, I know he had a coffee. No, yes, actually he, he has a, a, a pot a, there, so it might have been tea. No, it, it it looks like it's it's very dark. Maybe it was maybe oh, he was having a no. You know, that's hot chocolate. Yes, that's probably <laughs> hot chocolate because the, he has a pot there. You wouldn't really probably have a pot there for coffee, but hot chocolate, uh, along with the dessert cake he's having, would be a better match. Yeah, the the, the coloring of the dessert cake is a little strange. It, it looks like it might have some mold on it. Uh, <laughs> Or, or maybe those are reasons. I don't know. It's hard hard to um, tell. Yeah, I'm trying to get back to that. Yeah, there it is. Uh, no, it's. I think it <laughs> actually looks like cranberries. It could be. It could be. Oh, it's close. Nuts. Raisins, cranberries. Yeah. You know, they're, they're all the same. Yeah. yeah. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. Uh, uh, again, they, they, the location shooting of this film is just amazing i mean you see the the river behind him you see the trees and you can see behind that uh, you know buildings i mean it, it's just done really well it looks so realistic i mean obviously it was film houston it was a real place but but still the the choice of where to to, to shoot these scenes do you know where uh, this was supposed to take place in france i think it has to be it nope. has to be, yeah. I think, I southern France, to. the place where the Germans had the least authority for a, a long period of time. I mean, they took over all of France, but then the Vichy controlled okay. more the bottom half because he's reading this paper that I can't imagine anybody in Paris would dare read out in public. Um, the question is whether he knows. What, I, I don't think he knows what he's reading either. <laughs> well, did says liberation and all sorts of things on it. Uh, yeah, I... No, I think it has to make sense, because you want to head toward Southern France, territory, in order to get across into Spain. Because, right. Now, you know, according to the original script, this takes place in Toulouse? Toulouse? Toulouse. Toulouse, which is Southern France. You are correct. Yeah, I... I yeah. yeah, it all just seems very um, sad. I, I personally don't know if that is part... You're saying all southern France was, was Vichy-controlled? Well, Vichy were the French... Who collaborated, who, cooperated, right. Uh, cooperated, right. Yeah, for a long time, because, you know, that's a lot of soldiers you'd have to have to cover all of France. So they allowed the Vichy to uh, take care of the southern part of France for a very long time. So if you actually wanted out of France, you would go down to Marseille, you would go down to places like that where there was far fewer German. Right? If you're Jewish, you would head south if you could uh, to get away from the Germans. Now, at some point, the Germans did crack down. They really cracked down. But, um, yeah, if you were in the south, it was more Vichy-controlled uh, 
than German. Well, that, that's basically is that why you know Laszlo uh, escapes to uh, Casablanca? N- not exactly, because that's totally made up. No one would go to <laughs> Casablanca if they were trying to get out of uh, if they were trying to get to Lisbon. So yeah, that's just a made up thing that. <laughs> Casablanca was never really the hub of people uh, fleeing. Uh, I mean, I thought it was strange when they showed the map and you go from France to uh, Morocco and and to Casablanca. And I'm going, well, gee, why don't you just go over to Spain? It's a lot closer. (laughs) And once you get to Spain, you're pretty much home free. Then you Portugal and you can get out. But that's if Franco would let you in. Uh, Well, if you're going to sneak your way in, yeah. If you're not going to sneak your way in, but... Uh, I don't think Franco at that point was stopping people from coming through Spain to get away uh, at that point. Okay. Could be. Yeah. And I'm not a historian aspect. I'm talking like I'm a history expert and I'm not really. So You're, you're a movie history expert. So there, there you go. <laughs> you're, you're able to, 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 to prove to me that Casablanca makes no sense. <laughs> Despite, uh, you know, the fact that it's considered one of the best movies ever. Oh, it is. Yeah. It is. I'm not arguing that. Uh, but, uh, that's not the way history works, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it doesn't need to be real. It just needs to be, it just no. needs to be uh, enjoyable. Believable. How's that? Right. Right. So Cedric pulls the paper down a little bit, I, and then he opens the paper, which I find really funny because he basically has a four-page newspaper. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's no other pages there. I guess they were sparing the printing papers at the time that were saying bad things about the Germans. Or... Oh, yeah. If you had an in- underground newspaper of any kind, it wasn't going to be there. Right. But if you have an underground newspaper, you shouldn't be reading it in public, as you stated. Yeah, that I, I do find that even a little strange, even if it is Southern France and Vichy and everything. And the Germans don't even pay any attention to it. But uh, yeah, I just love, though, the looks that the waiter is making because he knows something, you know, this is all planned. Everything that happens is planned. Except, except for, for Cedric being there. Being there. And he's looking at him and saying, oh, you know, what, what are we going to do? What is, you know, how is this going to work out? And uh, we haven't got to the phone call yet, so I won't say right. anything. Right. So then uh, the, the phone rings near the waiter and he picks up the phone. He talks for... And that's my favorite part. This is like my favorite part of the movie. And he just says, we. That's all he answers. And then yes. puts the phone down and then starts walking towards the, the three Germans with the, with their drinks. And that's how this minute ends. Did you have anything else you want to say about this minute? Well, I think that... Um, I thought, I think this waiter is incredibly clever. You know, the resistance is calling him to say, is everything okay? Can we come by? And he says, we, yes, it's all set up. And then he uses the phone as a way to get James Coburn out of the way. He tells him, oh, the phone calls for you. And Coburn's going, for me, (laughs) for me. We can talk about that tomorrow when we get to it. The phone has only just rung Uh, and he put down the phone. Oh, I guess you're right. Yes, I am getting a little ahead of things. Yeah. <laughs> we, so we my favorite leave, part is the next we, part. <laughs> we need to keep the listeners in suspense yeah. until tomorrow when we're actually able to discuss it. Yeah. So uh, do you have anything I else you want to say about we, this minute? Oh, I just like yeah. the way the waiter uh, and the way he looks. I think it's well-directed, uh, the way the waiter acts. 
Okay. Because he's, he's making these interesting looks and he's calculating in his head and something's not quite right, you know. Mm, exactly. Do you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, again, Howard Kastner, C-A-S-N-E-R. Uh, Facebook is easiest, along with my Facebook screenplay consultation page. Uh, find me, uh, my blog is uh, Rantings and Ravings, and you can find Pop Art uh, on a lot of streaming channels, but especially on Apple, Podomatic, and Anchor. All right, great. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher that you might be using to listen to this show. You can visit our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. Our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. Our Twitter account is greatescapemxm. And our Facebook group is The Cooler. So, Howard, do you want to come back tomorrow to finish off the week with us? Oh, As long yeah, as you sure. don't get a phone call along the way. How's that? Yes, <laughs> sounds All great. All right, well, until tomorrow, tally-ho. Tally-ho. Tally-ho.